Hey, daters. Are you sick of small talk and no date being planned? Well, I'm excited to introduce you to First Rounds on Me, a revolutionary dating app designed for modern singles who are fed up with the frustrations of today's dating scene. The app is all about actually helping you plan dates and build genuine connections. How so? Well, the only way you match with someone is by planning a date. Send a date, a time, and a location, and then the rest is up to you. Ready to go on real dates? You can get one free month of their premium subscription with code DOCTOR, D-O-C-T-O-R. Download First Rounds on Me using the link in the show notes and start building meaningful connections offline. Hello and welcome to Reimagining Love. I'm Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Relationships have the power to wound us and the power to heal us. As a clinical psychologist, author, and professor at Northwestern University, I've devoted my life to studying intimate partnerships and family dynamics. On Reimagining Love, I'm here to translate complex clinical topics into tools and takeaways that you can use in your relationships today. If you're ready to develop relational self-awareness and create vibrant and loving relationships with the people who matter most to you, you've come to the right place. I'm so glad that you're here. I am really delighted to share this Love Stories conversation with you. You know, in these Love Stories episodes, we shine a light on a real-life relationship because there is so much for us to honor and learn when we have the gift and the pleasure of bearing witness to someone's story. So today, I will introduce you to Elise and Suze. Elise was a student in the Master's of Science and Marriage and Family Therapy program at the Family Institute at Northwestern University. And my podcast team and I were brainstorming couples that we'd like to feature in a Love Stories episode. And two of my team members, Sam and Megan, who were classmates with Elise, basically said at the very same time, you have to talk to Elise and Suze. The story of their relationship and of their wedding is so, so beautiful. Okay, so fast forward a little bit, and I hired Elise to be one of the teaching assistants for my undergraduate Marriage 101 course. I really enjoyed getting to know her and that context. And then when she graduated, I popped the question, so to speak, inviting Elise and her wife, Suze, to be Reimagining Love guests. And I am really glad that they said yes. And what's clear to me is that their yes was guided by their investment in elevating, centering, and celebrating queer love stories. And I hope that our conversation does just that. You're going to hear how they have had to struggle at times with the challenges of internalized homophobia, recognizing the ways in which it has limited, silenced, or constricted them. And you're going to hear about their transition to marriage and how they were intentional about when to integrate so-called traditional elements of the wedding day and when to subvert those elements in the name of authenticity. And you will hear how deeply committed they are to continuing to grow and heal in the context of their marriage. 
No matter where you are in your relationship journey, and no matter who and how you love, I know this conversation with Elise and Suze is going to offer you something valuable. Enjoy. Elise and Suze, thank you so much for being here with me. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so I want to start by just taking a moment to contextualize the three of us. Like, how did we get to this conversation? So, Elise, you were a student at the Family Institute at Northwestern University. You were working on your MSMFT degree, and you graduated spring of 2022. And so I first got a chance to meet you when you agreed to be a teaching assistant for the undergraduate Marriage 101 course. And so that's how you and I first met. And then you were classmates with, and now you are good friends with, Sam and Megan, both of whom were working with me as graduate assistants during their time. And now I have gone ahead and just hired them because, as you know, they're both fantastic. And so then that means that last summer at Megan's wedding, I got to hang out with you, Elise, and I got to meet you, Suze. Yeah, it was such a fun day. It was. It was such a fun night, yes. And so I have to admit that, you know, even though we were just hanging out and sipping wine at Navy Pier, I also had like a little bit of a hidden agenda (laughs) as we were getting to know each other. Because months and months ago at one of our team meetings, we were brainstorming like who would be wonderful to have on Reimagining Love to do a love stories episode with where we sort of shine a spotlight on a couple's journey or an individual's journey or a family's journey. And as we were brainstorming, Sam and Megan, I feel like it was at the same moment, Sam and Megan were like, Elise and Suze, you have to get Elise and Suze onto the show. And so that was when the seed was planted for me. That's so sweet. Yeah, that's really nice. <laughs> then I popped the question and you both said yes. And I'm so glad that you said yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad we're here. Yeah, me too. This is such a cool opportunity to get more queer stories out there about love. Absolutely. So can we start by just having each of you introduce yourselves and kind of locate yourselves, who each of you are as individuals? So yeah, I am Elise. I'm a, a fresh therapist out working in the world. I am... Super queer in all the ways. Live in Chicago, where we met, and um, I grew up here. So really, Chicago's deeply home in a lot of different ways. Yeah, we've been married for just over three years. We have two dogs. One of whom I got to meet a little bit ago, and so cute. (laughs) And Suze, how about you? My name is Suze. I work as a stylist here in the city of Chicago. And I am also just interested in interior design. I do some design work on the side and some like illustration stuff on the side as well. Also very queer. I identify as a butch lesbian, also white. Yeah, I know. I was trying to think. I was like, identity is so slippery. That's right. Uh huh. How did the two of you meet? How did your paths cross? You said it was here in Chicago. We won the Tinder lottery. <laughs> is a term I just learned today, actually, on TikTok, the Tinder lottery. But that's how we initially met, is through that app. And yeah, Susanna I, really won. I was going to say, I feel like I'm the, the real winner. I had just been convinced by a friend to download Tinder, and I was very, not against it, but apprehensive. I was like, I don't know. Like, I don't want to do the one-night stand things. Like, that's not, you know, and that was what I had associated with Tinder, but a friend was like, no, you, you should really get on it. Like, that's how you meet people, whatever. Downloaded it. And Elise was like one of the first two people that I started messaging with. 
And Mm -hmm. she was the first one that was like, okay, I don't really want to like talk in this app anymore. Let's go on a date. And we went on our first date and I like never really opened the app again. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Is the Tinder lottery when you meet somebody fantastic on Tinder or is it when you just get to meet somebody fantastic right away and don't have to do a whole bunch of swiping and a bunch of first dates? Based on what I inferred from the TikTok, I think it's just like, (laughs) cool, I found someone, we're committing, we're moving forward and Uh I don't have to swipe anymore. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And Elise was one of the very, very first people that you were messaging with. Yeah. It's like one other woman that I was talking to and Elise was the only one that I was having like any real conversations with. Oh my gosh. I still have this screenshot of the first ever message that Susanna sent me to initiate the conversation on Tinder, (laughs) which is fun. Oh, that's sweet. So, okay. So we have this first date and then how does it progress? (laughs) Well, can I share? Yeah. 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 The silly parts. Yeah. (laughs) I want to hear the silly part. (laughs) Well, so we had planned to meet up at this like no longer existing sort of burger and beer place in Logan Square. And I tend to run early for things. So I was early. And then Susanna let me know. She's like, I'm running late. So I was like, just kind of sitting there waiting. And then she shows up. And the first thing she says was like, hi, I'm covered in gasoline. I need to go to the bathroom. I'll be right back. I was, you know, of course, confused and intrigued. and like, okay, there's got to be a good story. I don't think it even really was a good story. It was just that I had stopped to fill up my truck on the way to meet you and the like gas pump was like leaking everywhere and then I had to like fight with the gas station attendant because I was being charged for gasoline that was like coming out of the pump like (laughs) (laughs) so I was late and like reeked of gasoline and it For some context too, like my dating history is such that I had never really been on like a date before. Hmm. I had always ended up dating people who were friends first. Yeah. Then we just sort of like slipped into romantic relationships. So I had like never been on a first date at all. And I like was coming to meet Elise and was like, well, now I'm late and I'm covering gasoline. Literally flammable. (laughs) This is the worst first date imaginable. Yeah, I didn't think it was going to go well. (laughs) On my end, my history with first dates has been that they are very long. The partner I had most recently before Susanna, our first date was like 20 something hours long. It was like a little bit ridiculous. And I think not maybe a way I would approach (laughs) dating in my more mature years. But so I had that, like, if it went well, that meant it was going to be like a multi-day hangout. Okay. And Susanna was. I was under the impression that like in the movies, you go and you have a drink and some food and then you say like, it was very nice to meet you. Maybe we will meet up again. And then you part ways. Cause like, that was my understanding. So like when Mm -hmm. the date was wrapping up, I was like, okay, it was really good to meet you. Bye. And just like left. Um, I guess very abruptly, which I, I tend to do in my personal life when I'm done, I'm like, bye. And I just walk away. And I I feel like other Midwesterners are like, you're so rude. You're supposed to stick around for like 20 minutes after you say goodbye. (laughs) It's so the nature of dating that there's so much like, 
hidden curriculum. There's so much happening beneath the surface around how do I indicate interest? How do I not come on too strong? And I, I hear that was happening for the two of you is that like in Elisa's mind, a long date would be a good day. But Susan, in your mind, that wasn't that wasn't going to be the mark of a good date. Like, But there's neither of you, of course, are verbalizing that, but it's you're sort of acting it out and pinging off of each other. Hey, absolutely. And I think from my end, like there's some like internalized homophobia and like general like messages around like butch women being predatory in certain ways. And I have always been like, like so hyper aware of that stereotype and like so afraid that I might come off that way. And so for several of our first dates, I think I came off as maybe not as interested as I was because I didn't want to seem like predatory or like trying to get into your pants. Like it's like a very like stereotypes of like butch women being like players. And I was so afraid of appearing that way. Again, I think because of some internalized homophobia that I hadn't dealt with. We did not kiss. I got in my truck and went home Mm-hmm. Um, and always walked home and I didn't even offer her a ride. <laughs> <laughs> but it was interesting enough that we made it to date two. And by date three, I think, was the day where I was like, okay, so look, I like you. Do you feel the same? <laughs> I'm confused. I was like, do you want to be friends? Like, what's the vibe? And then at that moment, Suzanne was able to be like, no, I do. And then we shared our first kiss. And then and then again, I left very abruptly. I was like, kissing is done. Goodbye. I'm walking home now. <laughs> Anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine, Suze, that for you, there was a kind of relief when Elise took a leadership role around clarity and like put her internal world out there for you because you, like you would describe so beautifully, like that battle going on inside of you of like, Suze, you were kind of like bumping up against a fear and a script that as a butch woman to be taking the lead too much, coming on too strong was a fear for you. And so you were really holding yourself back. And I can imagine it was a relief for Elise to just put her cards on the table. Absolutely. It was a huge relief too, to just have someone that was willing to put their cards on the table so clearly and directly. Because I think my another part of my dating history is that I dated a lot of women that don't identify as queer and who like that slip into romance was very like unspoken and like not comfortable for them because they hadn't come to terms with their own sexuality or whatever. So to have a partner who was able to just like be super upfront with their feelings and just tell me exactly how they felt was like absolutely mind boggling to me and, and really incredible. Elise, do you remember how you felt as you got ready to tell Susanna how you were feeling? We were outside of Skylark, which is a, a bar in Pilsen. And we were standing outside and we just had like this incredible conversation for a couple hours. And I was like, I think I'm catching a vibe here. Like, I think I understand what's going on, but I am not positive. And I don't want to assume anything. I think maybe from a similar place of not wanting to just like take an action that might, you know, cross a boundary or like be outside of a consent framework. Because I think, you know, I don't identify as butch, but I do have a similar internalized, you know, concern about this idea of being predatory that I think comes from like middle school locker room culture. And so there's like a couple ways of managing that. One being like to take a really backseat and really like slow and steady. Another to just be like, this is where I am. Can I check that against like where you are? 
So I think that's where I was coming from was like, I want to see if I'm reading the room correctly. And if I'm not, that's cool, but I just want to know. So I know how to calibrate the way I'm approaching everything. It sounds, I mean, no surprise, you are a very excellently trained clinician. It sounds like you found a very relational way to put it out there, like where it really was the description of your internal world without expectation of what Suze was going to do with it or not do with it, but it was really relational. It was like, here's a little like window inside of me. I think that's, yeah, very true. Okay, so then you're getting serious. As your relationship is deepening and developing, at some point marriage is sort of in the realm of the possible, right? Could you talk a little bit about like how you began to approach that? And then I really do want to hear a bit more about like why marriage, like of all the kind of relationship formations, what was that kind of wrestling? But there, I know we're like going very quickly from first kiss to like marriage on the horizon, but like kind of fill in that deepening of commitment and how you started to envision and negotiate your next steps. I remember you moving in, like mm-hmm. your lease was up mm-hmm. and the conversation was like, well, we are already pretty serious and spend almost every night together. Does it make sense for you to go spend money somewhere else when I have this like really great cheap one bedroom that if we split it would be like really cheap. And I think it was pretty much like a no brainer that it was like, okay, let's move in together. I think it's super important to live with someone before you even yeah. consider marriage. Personally, I think that living with someone is the thing you do most when you are married to them. (laughs) So like, you should know that you like doing it. So yeah, we moved in together and definitely like talked about our future together, talked about ways that we envisioned our future in a very like fantasy, like, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, if someday we have like all the money in the world, we're gonna, you know, do XYZ or if we're lucky enough to have this opportunity, like we can do Mm-hmm. this or that yeah then we started co-parenting a dog very early also right. which I think also helped move things along quickly like shared responsibility another living thing felt like a big part of it and we started talking about getting married I think like relatively quickly yes you know we were actually talking about all this last night and like how differently we might approach it or conceptualize the idea of marriage or when to go about it if we were older or just like from the perspectives we have now how would we have gone about it but like at the time I think there was a lot of excitement and like just momentum moving forward and feeling like let's get some commitment in here yeah yeah I say that jokingly it was it was there but then like Okay, so I just want to put a spotlight on a point that each of you made in your responses. Suze, I had never thought of it that way, but I love how you said it makes sense to me to live with somebody before you marry them because living together is the thing that you do most in a marriage. You're right. Like if you do like a pie chart of marriage, it's a little bit, you know, like there's the sex, there's the travel, there's the money, but there's just a lot of domesticity. Like there's just a lot of building and nurturing and tending to a space. So I love that very logical, very pragmatic take on like, why wouldn't you live together? Because it's a, it's what you're going to be doing a ton of. And then Elise, I love what you were saying about like, a wedding is a snapshot. It's a photograph. It's like a stamp in time. And Todd and I have been married for 24 plus years. And we talk about like a few times over the years, we've talked about like, what would the wedding look like today? And it's not the wedding, the wedding that happened on August 29th, 1998 was the wedding that reflected who each of the two of us were, what our family systems were, 
who we were as individuals, as a couple, but it's not the wedding we would have had even five years later. So I love that there's like so much permission and compassion for that idea that you hit a particular milestone at a particular time in your individual development and your relationship development. And therefore that transition looks the way the two of you look at that time, but it's not how you keep looking a few years later or a decade later. How did each of your like upbringings and your sense of yourselves in your communities, how did that shape what you wanted around the transition to marriage? Like how, like sort of like self in community, like how did the wedding and the transition to marriage kind of emerge from those identities and those relationships and those contexts? I um, come from divorced parents. My parents got divorced when I was in high school and it was a pretty like, awful experience. It was a messy divorce that I think really like haunted my family for years. So that was, you know, one model of a relationship that I had that was a negative one, but I did have models of relationships that I aspired to, you know, my aunt and uncle have a relationship that I think is really incredible. And my aunt was dating a woman who's now her wife that also just had like a really lovely relationship. And I, I think I saw both of them as relationship models that I could actually aspire to in a way where I was like, oh, like marriage is about changing with one another. Like marriage is about like growing with one another and like taking interest in stuff that the other person is interested in while maintaining your own interests that are separate from them. And like, I was able to pick up on things from other family members without really having my parents as like a solid example. Being a queer person that grew up in the time period that I did where marriage equality was the forefront of so many conversations around like gay rights. I think that the idea of getting married felt like getting married as queer people and doing it at a younger age while feeling kind of reckless looking back on it. Like it also felt like a very radical act Uh, that getting married as queer people can be radical if you choose to approach it that way. Yeah. Do you feel like you're at a crossroads in your love life? Maybe you are sick of modern dating or wondering if the person that you're with is your person. Whatever your situation, I have the perfect podcast for you, Dateable. Dateable is your insider's look into modern dating, hosted by Julie Krafchick and Yue Shu. Julie and Yue bring a sense of humor to their insightful explorations of all things dating, turning matches into actual dates, the psychology of relationships, red flags, attachment styles, and so much more. I am proud to have been a guest on their podcast three times. So if you're looking for a great starting point, check out my latest episode with them when you're ready and they're not. I'll put a link at the bottom of the show notes. Wherever you start, this podcast is going to help you feel inspired to date differently and create a love life that works for you. Subscribe to Dateable wherever you get your podcasts. Susanna, how old were you when marriage equality finally came through the Supreme Court. Yeah, so I would have just graduated college. I was in, like, the worst relationship of my life. (laughs) Uh, Was having a rough time, but was also developing a better sense of self around my own queerness. 
around that time. And I don't think I expected the news to feel as poignant as it did. Like when I heard the news, I, you know, you knew that it was kind of coming. But when I finally heard about it, it was like I didn't expect to cry about it, but I definitely did. Mm-hmm. In college, I can imagine there was like so much consolidation of your identity and like claiming of your identity and all those kind of college conversations that are so real and so urgent. And so this milestone hits like as you are transitioning out of college and it is so political and it's so personal at the very, very same time. It's so interesting. I'm just remembering as you were talking about that, because I was thinking, like, what was I doing? Are you the same age? Suze is a year and a half older than I am. So I'll be 29 next week. And mm-hmm. Suze is freshly, no, six no. months ago. It was yeah. just your half birthday. Yeah. Um, I'm 30. 30. A fresh 30. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know what Oprah says? Oprah says she fully became a woman when she was 30. She wasn't even totally in her full self until she was 30. So you're just hitting your stride. <laughs> I do fully believe that. Yeah, I do too. But remembering now, like 2014, 2015, that time period was just like, I had so much going on in my life at that time and was managing a lot of other stressors that it just don't even think it processed mm-hmm. for me until much later. But I do remember Prop 8 stuff going on in California and that that is kind of how I ended up coming out to my family. Because I remember... I was like in maybe freshman or sophomore year of high school. I was at the dermatologist's office with my mom and there was news on about Prop 8 and I was talking about it and my mom was like, is there any reason you're so invested in everything going on with Prop 8? And it caught me very off guard and was like, uh, yeah. So I came out to my mom in the dermatologist's office while waiting for the doctor to come in. Sure. My gosh. Oh, <laughs> But yeah, that's a little bit of a tangent, but it was just those larger political moments do, I think, leave an imprint on. Yeah. At least did that feel empathic for your mom to kind of like connect those? Like, did it feel like she was connecting those dots on your behalf or did it feel like it was more of a disjointed and kind of fragmented way for it to happen? That's a good question. I don't know. I think it was like at that point I knew already, like I'd kind of been, I was out to myself and I was out to some friends Ish, but I was out at the time as, was like, I think I'm bisexual. I was like, I know I'm having confusing feelings and I know I'm not straight at this point, but I don't know what that means fully. And so when my mom asked me and it caught me off guard, I was like, well, I want to be honest. And also didn't feel like I had a ton of language or ways to talk about it. On the one hand, it was like nice that she was attuned to it and kind of like picked up on something and was able to name it and welcome the conversation. And also I think... I don't know, just part of being a queer kid in general, and at least at the time was like, there's a certain like teacher role that you end up taking on that I don't know that I was fully prepared for. I didn't know what was going on for myself, even, mm-hmm. let alone trying to explain it to my parents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at the very least, I wonder if your mama in hindsight might be like, the question was valid, but maybe not the doctor's office. That it just, yeah. But that becomes your story then, right? That is your, that is your story. It's absolutely memorable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll never forget it. Yeah. Before I hear more, Elise, about that, Suze, were you, when were you out to yourself and to your, the people around you? I was only out to myself at a fairly young age. I mentioned earlier that I have an aunt who's a lesbian and she came out later in life. And I remember when my mom sat us down and told us that her sister, you know, was getting a divorce from her husband and that she was a lesbian and that she was going to pursue that. 
And I really distinctly remember going up to my room that night and being like, oh, that's an option. One. Two, no one's mad at my aunt. Everyone loves my aunt. And I was raised in a somewhat religious household. And the third point for me was like, and of course, God still loves my aunt because she's the same incredible person she's always been. Like nothing changed. And that really sort of like opened a world of possibilities for me. I came out publicly when I was like 15 and had some pushback from my mom specifically. But for the most part, it was like a, I think I had a very easy experience as a young queer person considering the circumstances of like, I was the only out lesbian at my high school um, in a like white Republican suburb and all things considered, it was like, I had a pretty easy time of it with the exception of like a few snags. Casual locker room brawl. Yeah. It's always the locker room. Oh my gosh. Oh. At least for you, you know, we were talking about some of Susanna's context around models of marriage and having like this kind of contrast of the pain of her parents' divorce, but then being able to kind of pull from her aunt and uncle and her aunts. How about for you? Like, what were the contexts that shaped your relationship with marriage? This is a point where Suze and I like diverge a little bit. I think Suze had a much clearer vision about what marriage meant and what she was hoping for and what she was envisioning and philosophies around it. I think I was maybe took on a little bit more of the reckless role and I was less thoughtful about like the broader implications of what getting married meant. Um, I think in my head, I was like, and it feels like a little shitty to say in hindsight, and like, we've had some challenging conversations around it. But I think, you know, a big motivator for me was health insurance. And I was like, this is like a legal thing. This is like, ensures that we both have health care. And there was sort of like a more logistical strategy to it for me than thinking about it in terms of like marriage is important to me because of what it symbolizes or anything like that. You know, this is part of what we were discussing last night is I think like marriage doesn't feel as radical to me from a queer perspective. I think I feel sometimes there are ways that like we got marriage equality and then some other conversations have kind of fallen away. And I think I struggle with it feeling like for a lot of people, it was the end all be all. They got their rights and stopped fighting for the people who are in the community who have less privilege and who maybe still can't get married because of disability status and calculus they have for folks who are trans. And like, not that there's legal barriers, but I think there are more complications around what state you're in and risk around like gender markers and legal documents that just get like, it gets murkier. And I think for two people who are at least cis-ish, um, <laughs> that kind of calculus wasn't a part of it. And we both families who were accepting and it was sort of like it felt more like a step into broader social acceptance than doing something countercultural. Uh, if that makes sense. Yep. Suze, when you say that to you marriage does feel radical, in what ways? You know, part of it is that there's all of these at least in the states, there's all of these like legal benefits to signing that paperwork, right? And when you sign that paperwork, as like in the cis hetero world, there can be all these implications about like who does what in the household or like how a marriage functions mm -hmm. because you're married now. Like suddenly your relationships with other people are supposed to change or, you know, I think that in general, queer people are really great at like 
taking the norm and just like twisting it a little bit and like reforming it in a way that is more inclusive and that is actually healthier and makes more sense. And I think a part of me feels like if queer people aren't going to do that, then like, I don't know, then I don't know that it would happen with the same strength mm-hmm. because it's it's just harder to break out of like a cis heteronormative set of lifestyles. Whereas like as difficult as it is to be a queer person in the world, and this is coming totally from a place of like, I love the term cis-ish. That's mm-hmm. great. cis presenting privilege but coming out as queer and being surrounded by queer people in so many ways is freeing Mm -hmm. it frees your mind from all of these boxes that like the heteronormative world is trapped in and to have like the freedom of viewing the world that way and then get to take the legal benefits of marriage and also like shift what the idea of a lifelong partnership means Mm -hmm. is just really cool to me Mm -hmm. I also remember something you said around the wedding when we were kind of discussing, like, for me, having a more formal ceremony was less important. For Suze, it was really important. And, you know, we did do it and it was beautiful. And I'm glad we did ultimately. But I remember one of the things you said about why you wanted it was, and I wish I could direct quote it, but something about how you wanted to prove, I think it was especially for your family, if that's okay to say, mm-hmm. that our relationship and our love was just as valid as anybody else's mm-hmm. and sort of like doing ceremony and tradition was a way of really highlighting that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if that's still something you feel or if you remember saying that or. I do think I remember that being a part of it for me. And I think part of it too, is just the reciting of vows, the writing of vows, the like, public declaration of love Mm -hmm. as to queer people feels radical because in a different time period, like we would be, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not just not possible, but we would be at risk of every severe consequence we could even name. So to be able to do it in front of people safely and proudly does feel radical to me. Mm -hmm. There's a dialectic of it. Like there's a way in which it is both radical. In some ways you are, you are stepping into this frame that has been I mean, marriage of any institutional frame is so well-defined. It has been so paired with heterosexuality, heteronormativity for so long that it makes sense that it is both stepping into a frame while at the same time subverting and expanding the frame. As Elise was explaining it, I was like, oh, no, I get what Elise is saying. And then as Suze is explaining, I was like, no, it is radical. Like, it does feel like it's both of those at the very same time. That is sort of queerness in a way. Yeah. Also, like when you were saying like a little bit ago, Elise, you were saying... that it felt shitty to name out loud that in part marriage was a business decision. It was about health insurance and about legality. That is true for every couple, queer and straight. I think maybe one of the 87,000 advantages of heterosexuality is you can kind of hide behind that, that it's not a business decision. Like somehow I think that maybe that for every straight couple, that calculus of cost benefit, risk benefit is there as well, but perhaps maybe one of the privileges of heterosexuality is it maybe can stay unnamed or something in a way that because of the way in which the two of you as a queer couple are deconstructing and making choices, of course, it's like there for looking at and talking about perhaps in a way that straight couples can and often do avoid or leave unnamed. It feels like, I don't know that this is fair to say, or maybe it's an overgeneralization, but 
in some ways it feels like for heterosexual couples, like marriage as the contract, as the legal, you know, that stuff that's happening behind the scenes is more of an opt out situation. Like I think heterosexual couples who get to the age and stage of the relationship where marriage is sort of based on the relationship escalator, the next step, I think it takes more like social maneuvering to opt out of marriage, to opt out of doing that expected social thing versus for us, for queer folks, there's more of an opting into it of being like, we are choosing this path because it's right for us for whatever reasons, but there's more deliberate deliberation in stepping in versus maybe for heterosexual people stepping out. Mm. If that makes sense. Yes, it makes total sense. And like I can like feel the little puzzle pieces in my brain like syncing up. Like it just, yeah, it makes so much sense. It like resonates so deeply. Like we're saying, the traditions around a wedding day are so gendered, right? Literally down to like the, at least here in the West, like his black tuxedo, her white dress. Like it's so scripted. It's so highly ritualized and so heteronormative. So how did, I would love to hear, like, what were the ways in which the two of you, how did you wrestle with traditional elements, subverting elements? Like, how did you kind of build a day that would feel just right for the two of you? I feel like one thing we did early on was we set fairly clear boundaries with our family members around, like, we are planning this wedding. Like we are going to make this day what we want. And I don't think we were this frank about it at the time, but like, sort of like you kind of don't get a say in what traditions we do or don't do. Mm -hmm. We're choosing our path. And so I think protecting that space around us to make decisions freely really helped at least early on. And then finding an officiant Mm -hmm. felt very personal. And we ended up asking our good friend, Will, to officiate our wedding. He was just like, both of us immediately were like, oh, Will should do it. He's like Obviously. a writer. He's a performer. He's just like a wildly compassionate, optimistic person. Aww. He did an incredible job. And it was so great to work with someone that not only knew us, but also was so respectful of like, we're just throwing the whole like script that officiants are supposed to use. Like we're throwing it out the window. We're not using that ceremony because it is so gendered and so framed around like ownership and like yeah. some of those more like loyalty and uh-huh. like another thing that comes to mind is that we both hated the word bride it's just us yeah I don't know yeah we both were like that word just doesn't feel right we don't want to use it I think another moment that felt really special to me was the way we worked out the whole like walking down the aisle thing mm-hmm. where we didn't Love the idea of like either one of us like getting given away in like the sort of more traditional, nor did we feel like we wanted just one of us to be waiting at the end of the aisle or and one of us to be like sort of the the prime spectacle of like everyone turn and look at the big gown and um you know or small gown, whatever. So the way we you know, I walked down with my parents, you walked with your mom, mm-hmm. and we kind of met all together all at once at the top of the aisle and then sort of as like a blending of families moment Mm -hmm. and then we walked down together followed by our families (gasps) that's beautiful we liked the idea of feeling like we're approaching this decision like together Mm -hmm. as opposed to like being given away or being like brought to the decision. It was like, you know, we're going like hand in hand and walking into this choice together. Yeah. Okay. Can we just talk about what you each wore, please? 
<laughs> like I need, I need, I'm like filling in the picture inside of my brain. So I need to know what are you, I'm imagining you walking down the aisle, but what are you wearing, please? <laughs> yeah. I feel like mine's easier. Yeah. I, I wore a custom suit that I really loved. I got it made by Bindle and Keep, which is a great company in New York that is owned by a queer person. And like, they make suits just based on what you want the suit to look like. It had like your gender is irrelevant and they're just super high quality suits. It was like a total dream. Mm-hmm. I knew I wanted to wear a suit. I do think like another thing that we talked about, mm-hmm. like things we would do differently. I probably would do something more fun. It was just like, you know, a gray suit. Like I had a little bolo tie, but excitement out of the question. But I think the outfit part is one of the biggest sticking points for me around the wedding. Oh, and okay. I did wear a more traditional white dress And I think like I bought the dress, the first one that I tried on that was like in the realm of what I thought I wanted. You know, it's one of those things where like you buy your dress so far in advance and then there's the alterations and then you're kind of talking about commitment, but there's sort of like a a financial commitment to this outfit. Relatively soon after I was like, you know, I don't know if that was the right choice for me. It was pretty immediate. You didn't know if it was the right choice. Yeah. (laughs) Didn't really know. I think there was a lot I was still figuring out about myself and didn't really know what I did want. So I didn't even know how to be like, well, this isn't right, but this is what I want. So I just kind of stuck with it and went with it and just didn't feel fully myself in terms of how I presented. And I think that was an area where some of the larger cultural norms kind of got to me in this insidious way that I didn't recognize until afterwards, where I felt kind of stuck in this one option didn't know how to get out of it and didn't have the language or self-awareness to ask for help to get out of it so I think that's a hard piece for me yeah I can hear it even still right like where of course the thing that I want and know Suze wants is for you to just hold a ton of compassion right for the Elise who made the best decision at that time. And what you have to reckon with is something that was never yours, which is like all the cultural expectations that were heaped on you, right? So you were like swimming through expectations that were given to you that you never chose for yourself. And so you got as far as you could get to make the wedding day that you made, but you didn't get to where you would have gotten to if the two of you were getting married right now. There were so many things about the wedding that were really beautiful and that I loved and were really thoughtful details. And then when we go back and look at photos, it's like, you don't really see those pieces. The photos are all so centered on us, which is like, of course they are. (laughs) And also it's like this, the outfit is such a central thing. And so it just kind of sucks that like this piece of the day that didn't quite fit is what's represented in every single photo for the most part. And so it's hard to kind of get away from that piece of regret mm-hmm. that feels tricky it's like a bummer it's a bummer and it is such a reflection it whole the wedding industrial complex is a huge gnarly machine so it makes sense how it happened and it is a bummer so okay so what was your what were your favorite details that you that really are the ones that maybe the photographs don't show but you know darn well that they were there and they happened like what are some of those favorite ones for you I mean this one I don't even think could have been photographed if we wanted it to <laughs> But we had initially wanted our ceremony to be outside. And then there was rain, which happens. So we ended up moved inside for a ceremony. And 
I think that ended up being really beautiful. And a comment that we got afterwards from a friend of ours who mostly Susanna knew from a previous field that she worked in, but he came up to us and was like, just so thoughtful. He's like, you know, I know that you probably wanted this to be outside today, but I just want you to know that you really filled the room with emotion and love. Like your vows were so powerful and I don't think the room would have experienced it the same way if you were outside because we were all kind of in this like small space. And so just that feeling is something that is really special and that I like to hold on to of just like how cool and amazing and beautiful that we got to share that moment in time with a lot of people that we love and they got to really feel that from us and sort of take a piece of our connection away with them. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think it's one of the generosities of a wedding is that like you give people not just the chance to be near you and to shine on you and to celebrate you, but also witnessing you gives them a chance to sort of like reflect on their own relationship to their love story journey. Like if they're young and they hope for this in the future, it feels one way. If they're married, it you know gives sort of this point of like reminiscence. Like it's so, it's such a generous offering for a couple. And I can imagine, right, that the, just the difference between outside and inside for you all, at least this one guest experience was that it just really supercharged that experience that he was able to have with the two of you. There was another, you know, during our ceremony, one thing, I was more of a practicing artist at the time and was using cyanotype a lot, which is like an alternative photographic process that captures light. And so part of our ceremony was that we each, I had a loose flower in my bouquet and Susanna had some loose foliage in her boutonniere. And so we made one, we made a cyanotype that captured the sunlight during the moments of our ceremony, which also just feels like a representation of that emotion that that guest fed back to us, which was like, yeah, so we got a lot captured in this little time that was really special. Which was all during the ceremony, which is Uh kind of funny because that was something that you weren't even super interested in doing. Oh, I, I love that. I mean, I've never heard of a couple like making art as part of the ceremony beautiful. Well, how about for you? What was favorite choices for you that the two of you made for the day? So neither of us are big dancers. We were not interested in like doing a first dance. Elise did not want to do the like daddy daughter dance, but we did want to honor Elise's dad, who's just an incredible man and has been like a great father to Elise, obviously, but also a great father to me. And he is a musician. And so he didn't want to give a speech, but we asked him to instead write a song. And at this point, the sun came out. And so we were able to do our speeches outside, which was really beautiful. And he just brought out his guitar and had like a mic stand and played this really beautiful song that he wrote just out of thin air that I think also really impacted a lot of our guests. And like, it's one of the things that people talk about when we talk to people about our wedding. Like it's one of the things that people seem to remember the most is like his song and how like fun it was and beautiful and um, just a really special moment that comes from being like raised by artists like Elise was. And so, yeah, it was really nice. That's beautiful. I cannot imagine that there was a dry eye there as he played. I imagine it was, did the two, did either of you get tearful as he played? Oh, I was crying all day from like, (laughs) I'm a crier. I just was like, 
I don't think at one point had a dry eye. So I'm not as much of a crier. I don't know that I did. I think more so for me, it's like my cheeks get sore from smiling mm-hmm. more than mm-hmm. more than I cry mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. when when it's a joyful moment. Yeah. What have you noticed about life together as a married couple? Like what stands out as most different, most enjoyable? Like what's that transition been like? Yeah. I mean, I think we kind of lucked out with our timing being pre-pandemic, but I think then going through the pandemic together and then me doing grad school, it was like, we really like kind of went through the ringer in a lot of ways. Now that I'm finished with school and we have just, there's more breathing room in life in general, we have been doing a lot of like reconnecting and I think trying to get to know each other in our new forms post, like, I think during the pandemic, just being together all the time was easy to forget to remember to get to know each other, if that makes sense. Like, I think we each grew a lot in different ways and came into our own in different ways. And I think that's been a big thing and like reflecting back on our wedding and the circumstances around it and how we made the decisions and has actually been a really helpful tool, I think, like getting ready for this conversation for thinking about our growth and who we are now and what outfits we would wear instead. And like, (laughs) yeah, just like all the things that we would do differently because of how we've grown. It's so true. My gosh, you, right. You went from this glorious wedding day to not too long after pandemic, grad school, all of that. Yeah. It's, so you'll never, right. You'll never be able to disentangle the sort of early years of your marriage from those really huge kind of external challenges and stressors and growth promoters. And I hear that's what it, that that's certainly what it's been for both of you. Like it's just been a ton of growing. I think a lot of growth, a lot of change. I mean, we both changed careers, career Mm -hmm. paths in ways that changed us Mm -hmm. like deeply. I mean, Elisa's obviously more so. I think the Family Institute program is an intense one. And like everyone that I know that's gone through it are all incredible people who have went through two years of growth that seem to be more like 10 years. Like it's the, it was like 10 years of growth packed into two. (laughs) Like, yeah, a a lot of changing and loving each other as we change and I think it's more than just accepting the way that your partners change. It's like, you need to like love the ways that your partner change, like assuming that they're doing it for their own good. Like assuming the changes are, mm-hmm. are growth. What would you want to like whisper in the ear of a young queer couple who's contemplating marriage? Like what would you want them to know or remember or hold on to? I think I would urge younger queer folks specifically that are looking to get married just to really make it your own. And I mean that in reference to the wedding, but I also mean it in reference to the marriage. Like, mm-hmm. like make it your own. You've already thrown the rule book out the window for like this society. And I would urge them not to like go back to the rule book, basically. Make your own rules and those rules can be flexible. You know, I, I think growth is of course constant and hopefully people are growing throughout their lives. Um, And also I think your 20s is like a major catalyst for change and really figuring out how you want to be an adult in the world and how you want to give back and who, how you want to occupy space and time for the next several decades of your life. And so to anticipate change and welcome it rather than being afraid of it, because I think it's going to happen one way or the other. And the more you shy away from it, the harder it's going to be, I think. 
I love that. Yeah. Susanna, when you're talking about throwing out the rule book, I don't hear you saying that as like for the sake of being rebellious or that, but just really for the sake of health, right? Of health and liberation and authenticity, that it really isn't like a pushing against for the sake of pushing against, but really because the rule book doesn't serve straight couples very well. And I think the, the sort of traditional, narrow, rigid, role-bound experiences of intimate partnership just don't hold up. They, they can't do what Elise is saying. They can't grow and flex with time. So it really is about not just being rebellious for the sake of it, but really for, for your health, right, individually and collectively, and for our collect liberation and health. I was imagining also, like, what would high school Susanna and high school Elise, like, what would those young versions of each of you say about this life that the two of you are living now? If they could see, if those little little girls could see you now. Gosh, I have no idea. I mean, I think, I think I'd be mind blown mm-hmm. a little bit because I think high school was like felt very was very anti-establishment. Like, I'm never getting married. I will never do all of these typical in quotes things that people do. And so I think I would be surprised mm-hmm. that I did get as young as I did. And I think you know if young me as that young person saw got to see an extended clip mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I'd be pretty stoked <laughs> but I think if I just read a small excerpt of like you're married and have two dogs and like <laughs> are a career person like, excuse me what, <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that. Right. Young Elise would have to would have to watch an extended clip to see all of the ways in which you actually are living really authentically and deeply and richly. Uh-huh. In your and on your own terms. I feel similarly. I think like I think it would be shocked and surprised to see how comfortable I am. Mm-hmm. Meaning like that I have a loving partner mm-hmm. in like a relationship that's not filled with conflict and I live in a you know, beautiful home that I have decorated and love. And I have close friends. I had a pretty tumultuous adolescence. And I think that, you know, there was like a period where I thought I was going to join the military. Like there was a period where I just was kind of scared for my future um, and didn't see stability as a part of my future. And now I feel like my life is almost so stable that it's like, Mm -hmm. it's shocking to me even now. Right. This teenage you would have a hard time lining up the contrast of how unstable you felt at that time and how uncertain you felt at that time and how stable and steady and comfortable you feel at this time. That that juxtaposition would feel jarring. Hmm. I also think that teenage me would think that Elise is very cool. <laughs> she would approve. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Likewise. Uh, yeah. <laughs> she would agree that you won the Tinder lottery. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. I love that. I think that you're, first of all, the two of you are really um, lovely storytellers. And I think you were really like generous and sharing yourselves and sharing your experiences. And like the way that we move through the conversation, like is such a nice chance to like dive deeply into things, like kind of tighten the lens and then widen the lens. And I, I think that you've given a really like lovely um, chance to kind of look at the landscape of your relationship story and kind of, you know, in terms of identity and community and development. So I'm, I'm so appreciative of your time and your generosity of, of sharing yourselves. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having us. It was 
I agree. It was a really lovely experience for us, I think, to be able to re-examine these things. Well, thank you both so much. Thank you to Elise and Suze for sharing your story with me and with us. I appreciate and admire your keen insights, your honesty, and your vulnerability. And to you, Reimagining Love listener, I have every confidence that this episode made you think in a more nuanced way about the transition to marriage and how to create your own unique love story in a way that honors your personalities, your journeys, and your identities. Until next time, be well. Do you have a relationship question that you want to have answered on the show? Follow the link in the show notes of this episode to send in a written or audio question. Questions can be about intimate partnerships, family relationships, friendships, you name it. I can't wait to hear from you.